Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? You doing good? All right. Well, glad you're here this morning. Are you glad to be in church on a Sunday morning? I know this may not make sense to you, but I pastored a church in Los Angeles for six years, and uh, I've just started preaching again. This is one of the very few times I've actually been inside a service. So it's good to be in church this morning, and I hope you're glad to be here this morning as well. My name is Matt, and I pastored Story City Church in Los Angeles for six years, and recently my family and I moved back to Atlanta to take a role with the North American Mission Board uh, to plant churches all over our country. So I'm glad to be here, and I'm grateful for this church specifically. I don't know if you know, you may be new this morning, but let me just tell you, this church has been an incredible mission-sending and mission-supporting church. You support church planners, you support missionaries around the world, and I just want to say thank you for your faithfulness to do so. Um, I love to take a a text. I love to take books of the Bible and preach through books of the Bible as a pastor. I love to preach through series. But when I don't have the opportunity to do that, and I'm just preaching a one-off message, I want to inspire and encourage confidence in Jesus and his gospel. So that's what I want to do today. It's very simple. If you happen to bring a Bible, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 is going to be my text this morning. You can turn it on or turn it to Matthew chapter 13. While you're turning there, I also want to say how grateful I am, and I know you are as well, for Pastor Bryant Wright. He's done a great job shepherding and leading here in the interim, and I am exceedingly grateful for his invitation to preach here and to be with you this morning. I was actually with Bryant's son, George, a couple weeks ago in San Antonio, and we were sitting around a dinner table, and we were talking about Bryant, and we were talking about his dad, and uh, George got this big smile on his face, and I think he gave the greatest and the simplest compliment any son could give a dad. George smiled from ear to ear, and he simply said, isn't he awesome? (laughs) And I thought, absolutely, your dad really is awesome. So I'm glad to be here this morning. Matthew chapter 13 is our text this morning. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. Grateful to be in your presence this morning. Thankful to be in your house today as we open up your word. May you speak to us, Lord. God, we love you today, but we acknowledge even our affections towards you do not rival the affections that you have towards us. So in your affections towards us today, Jesus, would you lead us? Would you speak to us? Would you convince us? In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in this auditorium and online said amen and amen. I was scrolling through Facebook Most of you guys on Facebook, I skipped this illustration in the first service. Didn't think it would land well, but I was strolling through Facebook recently, and I came across uh, what I describe as a network marketing pitch. You know what I'm talking about? These used to be late-night infomercials. I don't know what it is, Um, but I came across this network marketing pitch, and I immediately got sucked in by this guy's story. So this guy is telling a story, and he says, I used to be homeless. I had $14 in my bank account. I was borrowing underwear from my friends. Literally, he said that, and I thought, this is going to get interesting. (laughs) I was sleeping on my friend's couch, and now I'm watching this guy tell a story on video, and he's telling the story from this house in Beverly Hills, all right? Now, you know where I'm going. You've seen these before, right? I I lived in Los Angeles. I own the house in Los Angeles, so I know the real estate market in Los Angeles, all right? And I don't know how much this house is worth, but it had to have been 10 plus 
million dollars. Beautiful pool, view of the city. He took us to his garage and showed us his Lambo, his, his Maybach, his, his Rolls Royce. Um, just a beautiful home, koi, fish pond in his foyer, yes, in his foyer. And so I'm sucked in. I'm like, I'm intrigued and I'm drawn in by the story. Homeless guy, $14 in his bank account, borrowing underwear from his friend, and now he lives in a very expensive home in Beverly Hills just a few years later. I'm just sucked in, and so I jump over to his website, and I'm watching like 10 different YouTube videos on this guy, and I still don't know how he made his money, and apparently you had to pay money to find out how he made money. And now I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid, all right? So after an hour, I my life that I'd never get back. I'm drawn in by this guy's story. It's just not often that you see guys going from homeless and $14 in their bank account to living a 10-plus million-dollar house. I don't know about you. At that point, I'm, I'm watching this, and I'm thinking exactly what all of us think when we see these types of stories. That can't happen, can it? <laughs> Could that really happen? It's this idea of explosive growth, this principle of explosive growth in life is always the exception in life. It's never the rule in life. That's why when you buy products, you see this disclaimer, past performance does not guarantee future results. In other words, don't sue me when this doesn't work out like you think it was going to work out. Most of us who've lived a minute I've learned that rarely does somebody go from borrowing underwear to living in Beverly Hills in a $10-plus million home. So Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 13. I know you're wondering, where is he going with this? Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 13 that sort of seems like a network marketing pitch. At least you'd think it's a network marketing pitch based on how we respond to it. And Jesus doesn't add a disclaimer, but he guarantees future results. Now, can we get down the brass tacks here this morning? You see, I think we're developing a complex in evangelical Bible-believing Christianity here in America. I believe we're developing a complex as Bible-believing evangelicals in America to believe that we are fastly becoming an irrelevant, insignificant, a tiny, unfavorable, conditioned minority whereby we can never see significant and influential results of the gospel in our lifetime again. And so in our current social and our current political Climate, evangelical, Bible-believing Christians are in the minority, and oftentimes when you are in a minority, it's easy to assume we cannot have significant impact. And so for probably that reason, Jesus tells a story about a mustard seed and a yeast. And Jesus is better than any network marketer, and Jesus is going to say something, and he's going to guarantee it. And what he said here 2,000 years ago has happened will happen and will continue to happen. Now, if you would read with me in Matthew chapter 13. Now, let me say this before I read the text this morning. If you're worried about the future of Christianity in America, has that thought passed your mind in the last year? 
So we've walked through a crazy political and social climate. If you're worried about the future of our faith in our country, Jesus has a word for you this morning. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. And he told them another parable. By the way, if you didn't bring a Bible this morning, that's okay. We're going to put the words on the screen. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a mustard seed, which a man took and he planted it in his field. And though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a, listen to what Jesus says, a tree so that birds come and perch in its branches. Now look at verse 33. And he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and he, she mixed about into 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus is a master storyteller. It's his preferred method of teaching, and so Jesus tells many parables throughout his teaching ministry. And like most of the parables that Jesus teaches, you don't have to look very intently into the parable to understand the very plain meaning of what Jesus is saying. That's true in this text today. So let me just state the essence of what Jesus is teaching. By the way, it's also the title of my message today. The essence of what Jesus has just taught us is this. It's very simple this morning. The kingdom of God is unstoppable. The kingdom of God is unstoppable. Jesus promises not only the survival of his church, but he promises the growth of something that's planted with unpromising beginnings. And so the first story that Jesus tells here, he teaches us that something of enormous significance can result from tiny, unfavorable conditions. And the gospel is the alpha occurrence of this, by the way. The second story that Jesus tells us here points us to the reality that when Jesus entered the world, when Jesus entered the world, he introduced into humanity an element that would bring about change on humanity, and it would not stop until the whole world has the opportunity to be transformed by it. That's the essence of what Jesus has just taught us. And so in the first story, he uses the illustration of a mustard seed that becomes a tree. Now, a mustard seed is not actually, Jesus said, is not actually the smallest of all seeds, but the reality is to Jews in the first century, it probably would have been the smallest seed that they would have been familiar with and probably would have planted in their fields. And that was really the point, that it was small, that it was tiny. Now, many of you probably know this better than I do, but a mustard plant rarely grows to a height over four to five feet, we're told. Very rarely, a mustard plant will grow to what appears to be a, a, a small bush. And even more rarely, a mustard plant will grow to what appears to be a, a very small tree. And that's what happens here in Jesus' story. And then he tells a similar story about the woman who takes a small amount of yeast and she adds it to a batch of flour, which, by the way, most of you probably know that's still how we bake bread today. And so that amount of bread that is produced is enormous in comparison to the lump of dough that she started with and even more enormous in the small amount of yeast that she adds to it. And so both of these stories that Jesus tells us here depicts the incredible growth of the kingdom of God all out of proportion to its size when it originally began. 
Now listen. Jesus said that the gospel that he is preaching, the gospel that I'm preaching today, the gospel that I'll preach in two weeks in Montana and then in Orlando and then in Dallas and then all over the country, the gospel that my son will preach and my son's sons will preach, Jesus says the gospel that I preach cannot and will not be stopped. It's going to be built on the backs of Peter and the initial leadership of the community of Jesus' followers and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. That's Jesus' promise. But I want you to think about how it all began. Think about just for a moment how it all began. Don't you imagine that the early disciples were believers in this idea that what we're preaching about and what we're building, don't you believe that they just thought innately, this thing is about to explode? Like here we are in the middle, in the midpoint of Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 13, and at this point in his ministry, crowds are following Jesus everywhere. We flip over to the book of John. Jesus is healing in a home, and there are so many people lined up in the home, out the door, down the street. Jesus has been healing so frequently, so often, all day long, that he puts a, a closed sign on the door, and he walks away, and he says, I'll be back in the morning. I need to take a rest. Crowds are following him everywhere he goes. They're hanging on every single word that Jesus says. But then it begins to change. Then it all starts to change. You see, the, the kingdom that they're building, the kingdom that they're preaching about gives way to growing hostility. The kingdom that they're building here gives way to growing hostility opposition till we reach the point that the disciples are literally hiding in a room when Jesus passes to the point that the man whom Jesus said will will carry the initial leadership of the church is standing around a fire and he won't even acknowledge that he knows Jesus it all begins to change kind of sounds like what we're experiencing in our country today doesn't it Influential Christian leaders renouncing their faith. Pastors, authors, worship pastors. Several years ago, when I was a youth pastor, many years ago now, when I was a youth pastor, I, I, uh, the gray hair shows many years ago. Many years ago, when I was a youth pastor, we took students to this event. At the time, there was a band called Hawk Nelson. They were one of the most popular bands at the time. I've been told the next service will probably get that, but Hawk Nelson uh, was one of the most popular bands at the time. And, and then a couple years ago when I moved to Los Angeles, the lead singer of Hawk Nelson and I, we lived in the same town, so we grabbed lunch together and we talked about faith and church. And as we talked, I, I, could, I could perceive there were cracks in the foundation of his faith. So I wasn't surprised a year ago when he publicly announced that he no longer believed in God. Sounds a lot like what we're experiencing today, growing hostility growing opposition, a growing opposed climate towards Christianity. It doesn't really sound like the makings of a revolution, something that's going to expand to every part and every seam and every city and every corner in our country. The, the conditions don't seem right for a dramatic result. They didn't seem right for a dramatic result when Jesus went to the cross. But may I say to you this morning, the kingdom of God is unstoppable even in unfavorable conditions. Amen. I, 
didn't write this in my notes, but I just thought about it as I'm looking across the crowd this morning. Some of you are believing that you have unfavorable conditions in your home. Unfavorable conditions in your job. The kingdom of God is still unstoppable, even in unfavorable conditions. The Jesus, Jesus' disciples originally thought, they originally thought, you know what? The way this thing is going to grow, the way this thing is going to increase is by war. It's going to increase by conquering power. Why do you say that, Pastor Matt? Well, I say that because remember Peter in the garden. Remember what he did? He pulled the sword out to defend Jesus' honor and Jesus' integrity. Remember? And Jesus rebuked Peter's way of thinking. It's the same is true today. The kingdom doesn't always come as we think it will come either. It may not come because of a president in the White House. It may not come because of preferred positions of power around our country. Jesus rebukes our way of thinking as well. If you had a plan for world dominion, if you were mapping out a strategy for world dominion, may I say to you this morning that Christianity would not be the strategy. The conditions, the requirements for Christianity are not favorable. They're unfavorable. Think about it for just a moment. Make less of yourself. Submit yourselves to others. Give of your time and your resources to other people. Give yourself to each other. Do you know that every other religion in the world describes the principles that would seemingly bring about World power, self-help, self-determination, self-righteousness. Think about it for a moment. I've got a very good friend. I just had breakfast, with, lunch with him recently. He ascribes to many of these, these ideas, self-help, self-determination, self-righteousness. He pays thousands of dollars to go to conferences with world-renowned speakers who tell them, I am rich, I am healthy, I am strong. Years ago, he led a, an organization Millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars of revenue. And even though he's still chanting, I am healthy, I am rich, I am strong, he's on the brink of bankruptcy. Christianity says you can't do it, but God will do it through you. You can't do it, but God will do it through you. This is not an episode of your favorite TV show that we're living through. I am rich, I am strong, I am healthy. Everybody gets everything. No, 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 you need to add another mantra to your saying, I am brainwashed. That's not how it works in Christianity. The beauty of the gospel is that you don't have to be great to have its power. It actually helps if you aren't great. The reality is when Jesus names his disciples, and we do a, a study of each of these men whom Jesus chose to be apostles, what we realize is Jesus did not choose superstars. It was never his focus. And because of that, it seems, just by the nature of it, by human standards, that the conditions aren't favorable for a great movement to break out. But unfavorable conditions have always been the incubator for great movements to begin. We understand this to be true. We understand this to be true. Explosive growth is always the exception. It's never the rule. But unfavorable conditions have always been the incubator for great movements to begin. I remind you of Rosa Parks. She sat on a bus on a seat that she wasn't supposed to be in. 
sparked a movement called the Civil Rights Movement. Unfavorable conditions. Mikhail Gorbachev opposed the anti-American Russian sentiment, led to the fall of the Iron Curtain in 1990. Unfavorable conditions. 2066 Christ Drive. Do you know what that is? You say, it's a house. You're exactly right. There's not a hidden meaning in my question. It's a house. It's actually an historical landmark today, and it's a historical landmark not because of the house, but because of the garage on the left. The garage is where Steve Jobs built the first Apple computer. Small, tiny, unfavorable. You know what else was built in a garage, by the way? Amazon, Google, Disney, Harley-Davidson, small, tiny, unfavorable. But listen to what's happened since those unfavorable conditions 2,000 years ago. With a small group of scared disciples, listen to what's happened in China, even during the reign of Chairman Mao. Do you know Chairman Mao is the greatest mass murderer in history, in the history of the world? Mass murdered 60 million people, twice as many as Stalin and Hitler. Even in China, where under oppressive conditions in 2014, the secular British paper called The Telegraph let out with the headline that said, China on course to become world's most Christian nation within 15 years. Sub-Saharan Africa. Sub-Saharan Africa, the gospel has literally exploded. There are now 60 times as many Christians in sub-Saharan Africa as there were a hundred years ago. It's the most explosive growth that Christianity has experienced in 2,000 years, and it happened in the last 100 years. Globally, the church is expanding. Globally, the church is exploding. I've stood in schools. I've stood in churches. I've stood on street corners in Central America, South America, secular Europe, in Ireland, Portugal, Spain, Hungary, and preached the gospel, seen hundreds of people literally come to faith in Christ. Now listen to me. Let's bring it back to Longview, Texas. One of your pastors literally just told me on any given Sunday, maybe 7% of the people in Longview, Texas are in church today. I see your head shaking. Like, yes, that's the experience that I'm experiencing. That's the reality that I'm understanding in our country today. Now listen to me. What Jesus is saying here in Matthew 13 what Jesus is saying here, what he's not saying, what he's not saying is that, is that he does not mean that true Christianity in a given place, in a given time, in a specific time in history, in the history of the world, might not become comparatively small. It might happen. Christianity may become comparatively smaller than it was at a former period of time. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that won't happen. He's saying that can happen. But really what Jesus is saying here, he's simply saying, and he's simply promising that his church will never utterly be destroyed. So we seem like a tiny minority in 21st century America, don't we? Unfavorable conditions in our culture. Unfavorable conditions at our jobs. 
Trust me, I lived in one of the most secular cities in all of America with people who worked in one of the most secular places in all of America in the entertainment industry. 80% of my people work in the entertainment industry, and they would tell me all the time, I cannot be vocal about my job. People in high positions in the entertainment, the conditions seem unfavorable in my job. Conditions seem unfavorable in my home. We're being told that fewer and fewer kids and teenagers are professing faith in Jesus. Jesus Christ. It seems like there are unfavorable conditions all around us. The church may be a smaller percentage than it has been in previous decades, but listen to me this morning, church, but it will not go away. That's a promise from Jesus himself. And while it's true that there may be fewer people in America who identify as Christians than ever before, it's not true, listen to me, it may be true that there are fewer people in America who identify as Christians than ever before. It's not true that the church in America is still not advancing the gospel. Do you know that 41% of the churches in New England, 41% of the Southern Baptist churches, we are Southern Baptists. If you didn't know that, welcome to the family. 41% of the Southern Baptist churches in New England today were started in the last 10 years. Did you know that? Did you know that 51% of Southern Baptist churches in Canada, one out of every two Southern Baptist churches in Canada have been started in the last 10 years? Did you know that? 27% of the churches, Southern Baptist churches, outside of the South, to the West, to the North, to the East, in Los Angeles, in Portland, New York City, 27% of the Southern Baptist churches outside of the South have all been started within the last 10 years. Do you know if we continue to start churches at the same rate we are starting them today, that in nine years, by 2030, fully one-third of the Southern Baptist Convention, currently 47,000 churches, one-third of the convention will have been started in the last 20 years. You say, well, fewer people than ever are identifying as Christians. Yes, but let me tell you something. The church is still advancing. I want to graphically show you this. In 2010, this is an illustration. This is a heat map, if you will, of endorsed church planters across our country. 2010, just look at it. This is 2020. We can go to 2020. (laughs) 2020. You see a distinct difference there? The church in America is advancing. What about very specific cities? What about Denver, Colorado in 2010? One, two church endorsed church planters. Look at Denver, Colorado in 2020. What about New Orleans? New Orleans, look at New Orleans, none in 2010. Look at New Orleans in 2020. What about Washington, D.C.? Can anything good come out of Washington, D.C.? Let me tell you what's good coming out of Washington, D.C. The gospel of Jesus Christ is advancing and multiplying and exploding. The gospel will always prevail. Gospel will succeed. The gospel will increase. It's done so since Jesus left the earth. It's going to continue to do so until he comes back. And his promise is true, even at your job, even at your home, even in our culture, even in our nation's capital. It's still true today. Do you know the church was initially centered in the Middle East? We understand that. 
The church was initially centered in the Middle East. As the church began to shrink there in that part of the world, it expanded west. America and Europe became the centrality of Christianity. And as the part, we, as we played our part and we sent missionaries out from the west, we sent missionaries around the world. Now in our part of the world, Christianity may be shrinking, but may I say to you this morning, Christianity is now moving south and Christianity is moving east as the central point of our faith. But regardless, Jesus has never once in the history of Christianity left a people, left a people without a thriving witness of those who are following him. There are parts of the world today There are parts of the world today that have more of the gospel than ever before. There are numbers and percentages of unreached peoples in the world that are smaller than ever before. But now let me make this personal to us this morning. But there is still a mission in front of us. You say, we've just come through the toughest year in our life, Pastor Matt. I just want to think about me. Don't we all? But may I ask you this morning, do we and do you still have a mustard seed expectation that Jesus talked about? I believe you're going to have a new pastor here at some point in the future. He's going to come and he's going to stand on this very platform and he's going to say to you the gospel can still thrive and the gospel can still advance and you're going to have to decide whether or not you're going to believe the teaching that Jesus is teaching us today that even the mustard seed can grow to significant proportions and influence and impact those around us. Do you still believe it today? Does the church in America still trust God to do it? Maybe we won't, and we will not be the center of Christianity in the future. We won't. It's just the reality. And that may be difficult to hear, but the reality is the gospel is still expanding. The question for those of us here is, will we continue to cultivate a deep intimacy with Jesus? I can promise you, coming out of COVID, our churches are going to be smaller than they ever have before. You're going to come back from COVID, and this church is going to be smaller than it was before. Now, that doesn't sound like a great reality. We surveyed our people in Los Angeles and said, when will you come back? There was a small percentage who said, I will never come back. But will you cultivate a deep intimacy with Jesus? Will you cultivate this engagement in his mission? That's the single greatest pursuit that you give your life to. Now, may I say this to you this morning? Regardless of what you decide, the kingdom of God is unstoppable in spite of you. The kingdom of God is unstoppable in spite of you. See, there's two distinct pendulums that we swing in our spiritual life when it comes to being engaged in the mission of God. We either decide, I'm not going to be engaged in the mission of God. I'm going to sit silently on the sidelines, or maybe I'm still going to be in church and be involved in my son. I'm not going to be involved in the mission of God. Or we decide, I'm just not qualified enough. I'm not, Pastor Matt, I'm not called to go to Los Angeles and plant churches. I'm not qualified because I don't know, I don't understand, I haven't done enough, I'm just not qualified. Do you know something this morning? Can you look at me when I say this? Do you know that your neighbors are showing up at Moberly in spite of you? I tell our staff all the time, 
I told our staff all the time, I don't mind being disappointed. I don't mind being disappointed. It's okay. It's a part of life, and it's the reality of who we are as humans. We're going to disappoint each other. I just don't want to be surprised. I just don't want to be surprised. So if, if a neighbor in your community, in your neighborhood, knows that you are a believer, and at some point in your life, you slam the mailbox or yell at the kids or kick the dog, they're going to think, you know what, I'm a little disappointed they didn't act like Jesus there, right? But if your neighbor comes to faith in Christ and shows up here at church next Sunday and sees you here, will they be surprised? I don't mind being disappointed. I just don't want to be surprised. And our neighbor's have the right to not be surprised by our faith as well. When seed scatters, it grows. You know this, especially because we live in an agrarian culture, that the right conditions are important for seed to grow. But seed does not grow because the sower wills it to grow. Do you understand that? Seed doesn't grow because the sower wills it to grow. Seed grows because the earth produces it by itself. So how do we grow? Well, we scatter the seed. Well, how does seed grow? God's in charge of that. It gives me a lot of comfort today to know what I'm in charge of and what I'm not in charge of. I just need clarity. God's in charge of it. People come in faith in Christ because you scatter the seed. But listen, you grow personally because you water the seed of the gospel in your daily life. The great reformer, 400-year-old reformer, Martin Luther, of whom all Protestants are indebted, once said, all I have done is to put forth preach and write the Word of God. And apart from this, I have done nothing while I have been sleeping or drinking Wittenberg beer. Now, if you're Baptist, he meant to say Dr. Pepper. And if you're not Baptist, it's the plain meaning. While I've been sleeping or drinking Wittenberg beer with my friend Philip and with Amsdorf, it is the Word that has done great things. I have done nothing. The Word has done and achieved everything. Great Pastor Ray Ortland once said, in Acts, they preached and all came down. He said, you can't put that in your worship order. 10 a.m., all comes down. I read this recently. Someone may preach the gospel better than you, but no one can preach a better gospel. Someone may be able to tell the gospel to your neighbors better than you, but listen to me, they cannot tell the better gospel. Say, may may I encourage you and inspire confidence in you this morning in Jesus and his gospel. Just live it. Just tell it. The same God who made humans from dirt, listen to me, will make a mighty church out of dirty people. I believe it to be true. About 10 years ago, some friends and I began a, started a, a little conference, just a small conference. It's intentionally small. We intentionally keep it small. About 20 of us gather every February together. It's all guys that we've known for a while. We want to do life together, and we want to finish the race together. And so every year, we bring in people who inspire us and encourage us. So we brought in the vice president of the Orlando Magic. We've brought in Disney Imagineers. We brought in pastors and authors. A couple years ago, we brought in a guy by the name of David King, David King was the launch director for 135 space missions at NASA. We sat around a table, and David spoke to us about his work and all that he did. He was there when the Challenger 
exploded and he led the team to, to, to do the cleanup and the, and the research of what happened there. We sat around a table as we listened to everything David King said. It dawned on me this guy and this guy alone could stop or launch a rocket. At two seconds, he could scrub the mission and the rocket would launch. Or he could count down to zero and share the famous words, we have liftoff. Do you know, if you're a Christian this morning who can articulate the gospel, you have the launch code and the access to the button. If you're speaking the gospel, there's a, there's, you're a channel for God's destroying of strongholds and resurrecting lives and advancing the kingdom of God. And may I say to you this morning, regardless of where you land and where you decide, in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our decisions to opt in or to opt out, the kingdom of God is still advancing. The kingdom of God finally, and I'm going to close here in the next couple of minutes, the kingdom of God is unstoppable because it grows exponentially. That's what the Bible tells us. Wherever the gospel goes, the gospel grows. That's a biblical principle. Colossians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, the gospel has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. Do you know something this morning? You can't stop it. The president of the United States cannot stop it. The person who makes the decisions in your job cannot stop it. You and I cannot stop the movement of the gospel, and furthermore, we cannot control it. Because the sower who scatters the seed, the disciples who make the disciples, the churches who plant the churches, the gospel does not return void. And here's the promise that Jesus is making to us today. The entire world will eventually be covered of the knowledge and with the knowledge of the glory of God in every corner of being. Every corner of the universe will know Jesus and know the beauty of who he is. In 1965, if you had $1,000 to invest in the stock market, which would be the equivalent of about $8,000 today, and you put that $1,000 into Berkshire Hathaway, today you would be sitting on $13 million. You say, yes, pastor, but there are no guarantees. But pastor, the stock market's gonna crash at some point in time, it's going to decline. There's a chance that I could lose my investment. Pastor, I don't have much to give. Yes, pastor, but it's such a tiny investment to make. Now look at me and I'm done. Church, the church is a prevailing investment. The church is going to win. The gospel is going to succeed. The gospel is going to grow. The gospel is going to have its way. And every day that passes is another day for you to decide, am I going to make an investment of the gospel and am I going to allow it to multiply in my life first and in the lives of other people in this city second? If you or a believer in Jesus Christ this morning. I want to encourage you and inspire confidence in the gospel today and to tell you, you have a guaranteed investment.
It's a guaranteed winner. Jesus promised it's going to do what he said it was going to do. Not only is it going to just survive, it's going to do far more than we could ever possibly imagine. 2,000 years ago, a small, insignificant band of scared disciples, we will meet face to face in heaven and celebrate the powerful agent of good that the gospel has gone and done all throughout the world. What's your part? Let's pray. God, thank you today for your love and your grace and your mercy towards us, Jesus. We all come to this moment at different places, at different times, in different ways, with different strengths and different abilities and different desires and different joys and different loves. But my prayer this morning is that the Spirit of the living God would channel all of those things first to a love for you, Jesus, to a deep intimacy with the Savior, and secondly, to a love and a passion and a joy and a concern for his gospel in this city. Have your way, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. And the church said, amen. amen.